Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone. This is Kim Creighton from Hashtag Call to Scene Movement, and I'm extremely happy just so... <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of happy to have um, Karen here. Can you introduce yourself? Hi. Um, well, I'm super happy to be here, Kim, and so grateful that uh, Monique uh, Mills connected us. Uh, my name is Karen Fleshman, and I'm the founder of Racy Conversations. And our mission is to inspire the first anti-racist generation in America. So I'm trying to um, to persuade 10% of white millennials, 10% of white Generation Z, and 10% of white women to flip anti-racist so we can have a majority anti-racist generation and transform our society for the betterment of all. All right. You've, you, you, uh, you spoke to something that I have been speaking about today on Twitter, so I'm, this is going to be a good conversation. But we always start with... Can you explain to me why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Well, I think it is extremely important for white people to speak out about white supremacy and to cause a scene with our peers um, and point it out to our peers. Um, Because, uh, you know, people of color, Black women in particular, have been trying for generations to point out to us racism. And uh, I think uh, there's a huge unwillingness among white people to recognize white supremacy, both because it benefits us and also because it's so normalized that they don't even, many of us don't even realize that it is a problem. So I wish that they could, I wish white people could hear uh, women of color, could hear black women. And I encourage everybody not to, you know, listen to me, go listen to black women, go do anti-racism training with, with Native American women. But sometimes um, that initial push, for some reason, they're able to hear me in a way or I'm able to gain access to spaces that Black women, Native American women may not be able to uh, be a part of. That was, hmm, you spoke on so many things right there. Okay, so (laughs) an issue I have, and you are, I would tell you, you are, you would be considered to me and many Black women doing this work, the anti of what we want because you're a white woman speaking about racism. And so white people speaking about racism is problematic. And then you're a white woman, which is problematic. So that's problematic squared. And what the reason I, I respect you and I brought you invited you on the show is I've seen you doing the work. There have been black women, as you said, Monique Mills introduced or connected us or told me about you. And she's someone I respect when black women 
tell me that there's a white person out here doing the work and getting it done and not claiming the title of of um, ally. <laughs> um, that's the person I want to talk to because you you are in, you, in a unique space. Because um, I was talking about this or tweeted about this today because I'm noticing that there are a lot of ally type groups that are now following me. And I'm going to be honest, I'm suspect. Because yes. what, what, has, what happens is they take our content, repurpose it, and use it for themselves. Yes. And um, I do have a problem with that because as yep. you said, because many white people prefer to go to you before they come to eat me because it, you can get into spaces. And let's be honest, you're white. So I'll, as hard as you can go on them, you can't go as hard as we can on them. That's right. And so we make them very uncomfortable. And so I find that even in that, you'll get paid before I get paid. Yes. And so let's talk about, let's unpack. That's a lot. <laughs> so let's unpack that because I like to bring people on here who don't mind being challenged because they know it's for the greater good. It's to get us on the other side. And so I need you to speak to those other individuals who are doing anti-racism work and fucking it up. Um, and those people, those white women who continue to cause harm to black women, particularly in the workplace. Yes. Okay. So thank you so much for raising this topic. I think it's really important um, for us to talk about. Uh, I encourage as many white people as possible to join this movement, okay? I am about scaling the movement. I am about getting the numbers and the energy behind those numbers to actually have an impact. And I, what I want is to get women of color elected and, and serving in, in policy making in appointed roles so we can start to dismantle systemic racism. And I want to see women of color, people of color advance in the workplace um, because you know, I want them to earn good money and be able to support their families and and live the kind of life that, that they want to live. So all of those things. Um, the reason why I encourage white people to do this is because I do believe in the end, this is a numbers game. And we are not going to be able to win this without a significant number of white people signing on to to become allies. So that is my premise behind okay, this. Okay, let me stop you there because um, I, let me put this out there because I believe it's white people's work. So I'm, yeah. I'm not saying, so I definitely believe in the scaling and it is their work to do. Um, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, now where it gets problematic is when people are out there doing this stuff without any accountability or without even really knowing what they're doing. And, um, and causing harm as a result, okay? I think that like when we first wake up to the magnitude of the harm and the damage caused by white supremacy, we kind of go into, and I went through this myself, we go into this declarative mode where we're like, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And we're kind of talking about it, but we haven't really done the work to understand how to talk about it in a way that is not going to cause further harm, or even have we done the work to even recognize the magnitude of the problem that we're talking about, okay? 
So I, while I encourage white people to definitely become a part of this movement, I urge that we do, we, we spend time learning from anti-racism educators, black women, Native American women, who, who this is their field, this is what they do. Um, and, and taking their workshops, preferably in person, um, and if you don't have geographical access, you know, online or, or um, you know, reading their books, um, things of that nature. Two of the, the people that I have learned the most from, Catrice Jackson, her website is www.shetalkswetalk.com, and Sweetwater Nanook, who is a native Alaskan, uh, she's the executive director of I Don't Know More Washington. And both of them offer in-person workshops that are fantastic. I encourage white people to then continue to reach out to our white peers and try to get more of them involved in this movement. And I do think, I mean, I know this is controversial, but I myself do get paid to do this work. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think we need more of us doing this work. No, I don't. I want to stop you there because, yes, people doing this work who are bringing value deserve to be paid. See, that's the difference. I I have no issue with someone doing any job if they're bringing value, you get yes. to, yeah. So no, yes, you did. Uh, you're like I said, that's why you're here because I value yeah. your opinion on this. Yeah. And, um, and to your point, the way we bring value is not by coddling white people or minimizing the harm that we are causing uh, in a way to assuage white people's feelings so that they will listen to us. But the value that we can add is in an empathetic way to white people because they can't, part of their ability, part of our ability to listen to each other as white people is kind of coming from the same understanding. That's why I always start my workshops by explaining, you know, what I learned about race and racism from my parents growing up. Um, and then I ask people um, to pair up with each other and, um, and talk about what was harmful and inaccurate about what my parents taught me about race and racism growing up and how similar or dissimilar is it to what your parents taught you about racism growing up? Because so much of this harm is caused in this intergenerational transmission of racism. And that's also why a big part of my work is reaching out to white parents and teaching us how to talk to our children about mm-hmm. race so that we don't replicate the damage that our parents did to us mm-hmm. when they taught us about race. Mm-hmm. That I think is something that from a white perspective, I think it's something of value that I can contribute. And I and I agree with that because just like people of color are marginalized, marginalized group needs safe spaces. So do white people need safe spaces to tell these stories. So I, I totally agree with that. Where I get, where we get offline or where it becomes problematic is when these white individuals become the only voice that these other white people would listen to. That is true. And so or when they, they get stuck 
in all white organizations yes. listening to each other and don't get out in the community listening to their neighbors of color, listening, yeah. building relationships based in trust and listening to what it is that they want. That's our prime thing is not like coming together as white people and deciding what the community needs. Exactly. It's just replicating <laughs> white supremacy, yeah. right? We have to get out of our all white bubble, get in with our, our local community activists of color, listen to them, follow their leadership and support them in demanding whatever it is that they think community needs. And you just said it, it's following our leadership. White yes. people are not the experts here. And for no. the first time, this, well, it's not the first time, it's the first time that people are actually telling, because white people have not been the experts in a lot of things, but they've, um, yeah, but because of privilege, they just were the de facto experts. And now I have the same microphone that, that privilege has. And I'm saying, no, you don't have, you do not have my lived experience. So you cannot be an expert. And this is where, um, again, when we get off, when we get off rails, when your when white people are doing racism work, make it too comfortable and they become, they become the scene as the white savior, the thing. And so when I challenge, when I see someone on, um, who says something, I challenge it or I challenge somebody or whatever, I get questioned because I'm the black person as opposed mm. to, well, maybe they didn't tell me because they don't have that perspective. It's never, I'm never given the benefit of the doubt. Right. And I'm always given the benefit of the yes, doubt. Exactly. I'm always the presumed expert person. Yeah. Expert, credentialed person who belongs, nice, smart, kind, all of those things is always assumed about me. Um, just from when I walk in the room. Yeah, and that's why I'm no longer pursuing my, my doctoral program because I am I'm looked at the data and Black women are the most educated people in this country, yet the most in debt, and we still don't get respect. So I'm like, screw you. I'm going to do it my way. Um, me, I, I mean, I went to school to get the information. I never went to get the degree, but the degree means nothing from, from, a, white, from a Black person to a white person. It means nothing or it means very little. And so um, I'm especially um, in tech, I'm, I'm, I'm having conversations with people who don't even have college degrees. And yet they're presumed to be more um, more expert or more savvy or all these other things than I am. Yeah, I just saw I think Google and Facebook just announced that they are dropping. Maybe it's Google and Microsoft are dropping um, college degrees. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um yeah, uh, uh, dropping the college degree requirements. And also, um, I think it's the University of Chicago, because I don't think it's the University of Illinois. University of Chicago is the first, um, it's not Ivy, well, it's not Ivy League, because they're not in the Ivy League, but one of the, I forgot the term it used elite for the top. Elite university. Yeah, you, you, elite university who's um, no longer, who's dropping or making optional um, ACT and SAT requirements, because they recognize that that's not, that doesn't determine how successful you'll be in college. All of these things are giant funnels. You yep. know, I, I am an attorney admitted into practice in New York. And it's just like, you know, you got to study for the LSAT, which determines where you get into law school. And then you take all the law school and then 
you have to take the bar exam, which is totally different from what you learned in law school. And then the actual practice of law is totally different <laughs> from, from any of that. Oh, the, the, the classes, exactly. And that's, <laughs> what, that's what's so funny when, you, when you're talking about, like you just said about them dropping the college requirement. What's another thing is why do we keep having in tech having these these interviews and and processes and these these tests that do not replicate the real world you're giving people whiteboard to these i mean we we're still living and participating as if we're in an industrial economy and not an information economy this is not um does not vet out the best candidates for creating for being innovative for being anything and this is why um this message at a level beyond you has to come from the people who've lived these experiences. Definitely. Because Definitely. you don't know what this is. You, there's a blind, and it's not even that it's wrong. I don't have the perspective of a white woman and that's okay. That's you know, right. You know, it's, it's every, you can't have the perspective, but the perspective that you have, that's just it. Right. Right. Um, and then the other thing we do is we recruit. Oh, we're going to recruit and become more diverse, blah, blah, blah. But then we want everybody to conform to a certain yep. norm. Everybody needs to assimilate. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> wait, wait. so you brought all these, these, I mean, people where you have people on the autism spectrum, you have people who are deaf, you have people who are black and Latin American, uh, you know, Latinx, all this, but we all have to act like a white man. Yeah, that makes sense. That's it. Yeah. And if you don't act like a white man, and heaven forbid, if you call out, hey, we are being harmed in this workplace. Mm -hmm. Boing! Yep. This is so crazy. So and then they'll say, oh, look. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Then they'll say, oh, we tried, but they don't fit in. They didn't work out. What yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we checked the box yeah. because what I wanted, when I'm, the reason I was interrupting you was because I was getting excited because now we're talking about, we're about to go into that, that special sect of workplace, um, um, mass, um, um, I was going to say masochism, but it's not masochism. It's, 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 it's torture. It's oppression is white women. Yes, in, in at the, in the workplace, and yes. I don't know if you saw what happened a few weeks ago with um, her name is Amy um, Siskin, who runs the new the new agenda. Yes, and did you see what, all of that that was taking place? I did see that, but please, uh, there's so many white women shenanigans going on. Please recap it for me because. I don't remember the details, but I do remember that she said something egregious, but I don't remember what well, it was. Well, the, uh, the law, I'm not even going to give you the law because it went on for days. But the bottom line is she is presenting herself now as a person who's all about the Democrats. And these, oh, that's right. But and she's and a Republican. But she, yeah, exactly. And so these two black women found all this stuff and put it out there because she has this group. Um, and they're part of the quote unquote, the hashtag resistance. And I'm going to tell you, listening to their comments, they sound like they were in a cult. It was weird listening to the comments they were, because they were, oh, it was just weird. And so basically when, she, when these two black women, and I'm not going to share their names because I don't want to bring this up again for them, but just these two black women were providing information about who this, another aspect of this individual who's putting themselves out there. She not basically. She actually called them um, Russian um, um, agents. 
Yes. Uh, and it was a lot of it was happening on Facebook. So they were getting attacked. People were people were um, reporting them to Facebook and all this other kind of stuff. And then she puts out this medium post. So she was doing she was really duplicitous in the fact that the stuff she was putting on Facebook, she was not putting on on Twitter. And so the only reason people were finding out what was going on on Facebook was because people in Facebook group were screenshotting and sending it to letting people know in Twitter. So it was just like a whole shit show. So she writes this Medium article saying, does not apologize, talks all about herself and says she had not intended to, to, um, to insinuate that these women were Russian operatives. But when people call bullshit on that article, she went back to Facebook and started doing the same thing. And it was like, I cannot believe this goes beyond white women's tears because what she was actually doing was putting a target on these, these women's backs. In this, in this era, in this climate, um, that was dangerous. And for her not to see that was very interesting. But I want to talk about the fact that when this stuff started coming up, the people who believe in this mission, that she's the new agenda, many of the black women had no, no idea of, of many of the women of color who were um, following this movement had no idea about this. And you could hear the pain in their text messages, their tweets about what the hell is, I did not know, what is, what have I gotten myself into? Who is this person? And, and this is, goes to, it's an extreme of white women's tears just because the fact that she had the audacity to call them Russian operatives. I mean, that was just an extreme, but, even in the workplace, when what black women, it's like, they're like, you're being angry. It, it matters not how, we t- how our voices are, the words we use. And, and, and white people don't understand that we have, we will spend hours crafting what to say so that white people aren't offended. Do you know how much time and effort and energy that is? To, mis- to ensure that white people are comfortable just because I need to correct you. Right. And and you will even calibrate, should I even say anything at yeah. all? Because you're like, fuck it. You're waiting way out. If they fuck this up, is this gonna, if it's not going to affect me, just let them fuck. I mean, you just get to that point. Exactly. I, I will never forget. It was actually with Monique. We were having an interracial sisterhood event in um, in Atlanta. And one of the women (laughs) talked about how she always thinks if I say anything and that when I come up for promotion 10 years from now, they'll be like, oh, remember that time? Yep. Back in 2015. We have to think out. Exactly. We have to think out years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why black women are like, peace out. I'm done. Yes. The fastest growing entrepreneurial group in America. They're like, y'all are crazy. Like who wants to deal with this? (laughs) Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, Lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. 
Yeah, and it's so, and so, and, and so, and the fact that you can say you say we're the gr- fastest growing entrepreneur. So we have the skills. And so this was yes. so you we leave your company with all the knowledge we have. We exactly. and you're you're a shit out of luck. That's it because you also have the leadership. Who are the real leaders in our society? The ones who have always gotten stuff done. Black women. Yep. And they aspire to high levels of leadership. And then they come into the workplace. We treat them terribly until they finally are like, okay, I'm going to take my skill set and go go off on my own. But then they encounter a lot of challenges with with getting capital and all of that stuff. Because again, back yep. to the, the racism. But coming back to white women in the workplace, um, I don't know if you saw also peak white women's tears that a... Um, a black, an Emmy award winning television journalist and two white women publishers complained to the HR. Sorry for the interruption, everyone, but we lost part of Karen's audio um, on this recording. She was talking about Lisa Benson Cooper, an award winning journalist who was fired for sharing an article on white women's tears on a private Facebook page by two, can you believe it? white women <laughs> uh, who escalated it to their human resources department. And I'll make sure to include the article in the show notes. And she wound up getting fired. Yeah, there's a different, different story than that. I actually invited her on the podcast, but at her lawyer's um, advice, she's not doing any interviews of any kind. But mm. it's a deeper story than that because she had a discrimination um, suit against them already. Um, yes. And so... This is what, yeah, exactly. So she put it on her private Facebook page. Two women who were at her job, who are not on her, decided, and it's like, how the hell do you do that? This isn't the, this isn't, um, uh, you know, someone who's out in the street acting a fool and everybody's, you know, taking videos or, she was asking questions. Hey, let's discuss this. Yes. So, um, It's really interesting. Um, I am working right now on a book proposal. And I I just did actually a lengthy um, blog post about Black Klansmen. Because what I think is super interesting, and what I want to talk about in my book, is two things. One, how um, the movie Birth of a Nation uh, that came out in 1915 uh, this heroic depiction of the clan and this mm-hmm. very humanizing, uh, film, uh, dehumanizing toward black people with white actors wearing black face. You know, when that movie came out, the clan spread like wildfire. Yep. Okay. It went from having a couple of, you know, thousands of members in the South to having 1.5 million members all across the 39 different states. And where it got the most traction was in smaller cities like Denver, Indianapolis, Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon. And that also, that era also coincided 1919 when white women got the right to vote and white women started to participate in political life at the same time. And they were the ringleaders behind this Klan yep. Yep. Uh, 
amplification. And there was a white woman at the time who was like the Klan's, you know, recruitment and media person. And she majorly accelerated um, the, the, the Klan's expansion. Well, after, you know, and in, in the state where I grew up, they seized political power. The Ku Klux Klan ruled Denver from 1920 to 1926. The mayor, the governor, the city council, the state legislature, the head of police, they were all members of the Klan. You wow. had to be a member of the Klan. It's like the thing to do was to be a member of the Klan, like the social thing, right? And that's like the foundation. Those are the folks who got sundown towns, lynchings, all these things established, right? Mm-hmm. And then that, even after they lost political power, so there was a lot of scandal, and by the end of the 1920s, they fell out of favor. But that is then the foundation for redlining. Yep. That is the foundation yep. for um, on the school boards. They decided who the teachers were who the curriculum was, all mm-hmm. of this stuff. And white women continued in this, we are going to police people of color role in our, in our role as parents, in, as mothers, in our churches, in our families, in, because what kind of jobs are we doing? Oh, nurses and teachers mm-hmm. and social workers mm-hmm. in all these realms where we had power. Yeah. We used our power to inflict harm onto Black people. And we have never back and looked at that history. And we are continuing to replicate that same history, all this Permit Patty, Barbecue mm-hmm. Becky, yeah, Amy yeah. Siskin, these white ladies in the, in the TV station. It just keeps happening and happening and happening. And, and this think- is what we have to recognize as white women, that we, we are not, you know, uh, how can I put it? Because we have this stereotype, right? That the Klan is this vicious, male, uneducated Southerner, but it is actually highly educated, yeah. professional white women yeah. who are the most Klan-ish, you know, and yeah. we just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and we have to stop. Fifty three percent of us voted for Pussy yeah. Robert and yeah, and we're yeah. going to decide the twenty twenty presidential election. And so I'm really going to be focused between now and twenty twenty. I mean, right now I'm very focused on stopping the Kavanaugh confirmation. Mm-hmm. Then I'll be focused on the midterms and getting voter participation in the midterms. And then, like, I'm going to you know really get gung ho in in nineteen in 2019 about um, uh, just educating us about all this terrible stuff and also how at the root of it, we are miserable. White women are miserable. And that's my whole point, even with suffrage, women's, the um, feminist movement, all of it. You are not, you might be, they might be accepting you into the spaces because they don't want us there, but your experiences are not improving. They're still treating you like shit. You're not getting any better. And this is what's pissing me off though about, a lot of these tech organizations that are supposed to be, oh, power, power for women, but their leadership is exactly what you said. It is 
It does not, it, it ignores the voices of people who aren't white women. It suppresses their voices. It causes them angry. It causes these, it causes so much harm. And yet they're supposed to be doing it for, 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 for womanhood. And it's all these women that I just really want to slap the shit out of because you are causing harm to, because yeah. people, women of color, all women are coming to these organizations because they're like, yes, yeah, solidarity. But no, it's only solidarity for white women. That's right. That's right. And how many more times are we going to go down this stupid path? Yeah. This path leads to oblivion, white women. It leads to nowhere. This is exactly the, the I mean, next year is what, uh, uh, 400 years since the first uh, Africans were imported to this country as slaves, right? Mm-hmm. And we have always let white men convince us that like our role in the second place in the hierarchy um, is, is, is a great place for us to be while they're running around treating us terribly. And then our, our, our black enslaved women are telling us, you know, why are you aligned with these white men instead of with us? And we don't see their humanity and remain aligned with the the white men yeah. and we keep replicating 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 and, and, and the we thing never is, get anywhere and, and we're the, just miserable yeah and the thing though is you can say that but they'll these same white women will say well i'm not i'm not a part of the clan this is not slavery i'm not doing it and they don't see the very things that they're doing are equal to those things that the clan that the um that that slave owners that those women did they don't see that i mean we all have to get there together and white women are not going to get there without the voices of women of color because you don't know what the problems are that's you right s- you see it as you see it as you, even feminism you see it from your perspective but without the voices of marginalized women there you're only seeing one perspective so your even feminism is not whole that's right that is right. And I say we will never end sexism without ending racism first. Can't be done. Yeah. Because racism is the root. As, and I say this, where there's been, where there's whiteness, there's racism. Where there's been yes. colonialism, there's racism. And sexism and everything is built on these systems. Yes. I completely agree with it. It's really interesting. I was... This summer, I was, um, my kids and I went on vacation and we're coming home. My seven-year-old son asked me, mommy, which one do we have to end first, racism or sexism? (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Well, at least he's asking the questions. That's it. I was like, they were trying to teach me that when I was in college and I could not understand what they were talking about. I just mm-hmm. did not have enough lived experience to yes. end now. It would never occur to me to, to phrase a question in that way. But I was like, oh my God, my seven-year-old can see that so clearly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, we're going to finish this up. And I want you mm-hmm. to, I want you specifically, Karen, to speak mm-hmm. to, because I, I think this, I know this is the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. I have white men speaking to white men when they come on the show. I want you as a white woman to speak to your fellow white women about what, just, I'm not even going to tell you about, just speak to your fellow white women. Um, white women. 
I feel for you because I am you. You know, I am us. And um, I have uh, struggled at times in my career. You know, I've faced uh, pay differential. I've been sexually harassed. I've hit the glass ceiling. But I have to say the most harmful things that have ever occurred to me in the workplace psychologically came from other white women who somehow perceived me as a threat within the organization and did things to undermine me. And I think there's so many of us who have deeply internalized sexism and we have disconnected from ourselves. And instead of healing from our harm and feeling empathy with other people who are being harmed, we are lashing out and replicating that harm onto others. In particular, we're, we're, we're causing harm to people of color, both women of color and men of color. And I'm, I'm encouraged for the first time in my adult life, I'm starting to see white women take notice of this. And it kind of started last spring when Jane Fonda spoke at United States of Women. And, and for the first time, I saw a household name white woman calling out racism, white supremacy, and, and really pointing out to white women how we have been harming and marginalizing women of color for a very long time. And I'm, I'm seeing it too with a, a lot of expressions of grief and sorrow and outrage about the, the vicious murder of Mia Wilson uh, in, in Oakland at the BART station. Uh, prominent white women speaking out. But I'm also seeing a whole lot of other stuff too, like the permit patties, the barbecue Beckys, the, um, this whole uh, meltdown on Instagram with Rachel Cargill asking her followers to tag white women who proclaim themselves as feminists but did not say anything about Mia Wilson. And that leading to white women getting her Instagram um, temporarily suspended. White women, we are never going to achieve power. We are never going to achieve the life that we want for ourselves, for our daughters, for our sons, by leaning in by ourselves. It's never gonna work. The only way it works is if we link arms with women of color and we struggle with each other side by side. And in order for us to do that, we have to relinquish our sense of superiority. We have to let it go. And we have to really, really work on ourselves. It's almost like an exorcism to get that sense of superiority, that need for control. I have it too. I have it too. It takes a lot to get it out of us, but we can do it. We can do it. And once you get it out of you and you're able to really see the humanity in women of color and really listen and learn from them, you will grow so much and you will be so much happier. You will feel such a strong sense of community, of sisterhood, of solidarity, and you will have people who really have your back and who are, who are hard fighters 
and who really understand how to solve problems. Those closest to the problems are closest to the solutions and further, furthest from the resources and the power to solve the problems. What we can bring to women of color are our resources, our material resources, our networks, all of the stuff that our privilege has allowed us to, to accumulate. We need to bring to women of color who are really struggling. I mean, right now, the median black family's net wealth is 13 times less than the median white family's net wealth, okay? We need to support each other. And when we, when white women bring our resources and our power and our numbers and our influence together with women of color and their ingenuity and their understanding of problems and their level of compassion, their level of sisterhood, their ability to organize, we're unstoppable. We can create the world that we want. It is totally possible. Do not get stuck listening to all this depressing news and feeling like there's nothing we can do about it. No, there is a lot we can do about it when we stop listening to all that baloney and start listening to each other. So that's what I urge for all white women who are watching this. Please, please, white women, study our history, learn from women of color, take anti-racism workshops, with women of color, get over it and start to build that community and solidarity. And it comes from a place of humility. We do not know the answers, okay? We're not the experts. We have to sit and listen and learn. I'm gonna end it with, I love that, get over it. <laughs> so thank you, Karen, so much. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. And um, thank you for taking the time out of your day to share what you know with hashtag cause the scene. Oh my God, Kim, thank you for the movement you're building, your boldness. I mean, when I saw the live tweets of your events and the things you were saying, I was just like, yes, I love it. I totally, because that's what we have to speak the truth. Every time we come together is a very important opportunity to build. And if people get up there and just speak these platitudes, oh, diversity is great at my company. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, I don't care how much money you're making. No, it's not. Yes, you know? exactly. We have to speak the truth in yeah. order to identify the problem and to solve the problem. And I feel like you are out there solving the problem, speaking the truth, every single day. And I'm just so grateful to be in your orbit and to learn from you and to build with you. Well, thank you. I, um, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> um, and um, again, thank you for being on the show. It was a great time talking to you. Nice talking with you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the hashtag call the scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the hashtag call the scene community. Just visit the website at hashtag call the scene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at hashtag call the scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.